about now knights. Knights. No, no K's. No, no K's this week. Yeah. Just F's for French. Um, <laughs> we are, <laughs> we are, uh, we are. This is out, out now knights. What uh, was it? Out young. This is out now knights. Oh, okay. Twenty two. Uh, we've been, I mean, we, after, uh, you know, after merely getting to 20 after the, you know, 400 episodes. Yeah, I was like, after four years? <laughs> after after uh, the 475 episodes that are numbered, uh, we're only getting to Out Now Nights 22, <laughs> but we're stacking them up this year, guys. So, yeah. Watch uh, out. Yeah. But uh, in case you just blindly opened the latest Out Now with Aaron and Abe episode, uh, we are talking about Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. I'm so curious if there are any, if there anyone's out there that listen to podcasts that are just like, I don't care what it is, I'm just turning it on and I'm gonna be surprised. Like I want to know. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I do. I do that for like, this is a whole different conversation. I do that for like Comedy Bang Bang sometimes, where it's just like, yes, yeah, Comedy yeah. Bang, like, who, they're comedians, they're funny, whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like no matter who's on, they're gonna go wild the tangents because yeah, Scott, yeah. Scott Ackerman wants it that way. Yeah. Anyway, enough promotion for that. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, tell us we're available. <laughs> He has a movie show. We should tap into this. We should figure out if we can get. He them. does. Yeah, on their. This is why are we talking about? This? There's a, the, I don't know. On, on his pay, on their like Patreon version. Ah, uh, I see. They I have see. a. They have a. He has a separate show where he watches movies that he hasn't seen before of a friend. Got um, it. Okay. Anyway, we do that every week. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm saying we should tap this Ackerman gold mine that we're missing. <laughs> I haven't seen the French Dispatch until this past weekend. <laughs> All right, so we are talking about The French Dispatch. This is the Wes Anderson film, his 10th film, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. And uh, is that right? I think that's right. Beat Tarantino to the bunch. <laughs> yeah, that was his goal. <laughs> yeah, it's his 10th film. And uh, we didn't want to, once again, relegate this to just merely a quickies or a side yeah. conversation. Well, this is a side conversation, but this is an extended side conversation to review uh, for merely The French Dispatch. That's the only thing we're going to do here. We're going to talk all about it. And, uh, yeah, that's the plan. So cue the trailer. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for The French Dispatch. How do you even describe This is the latest Wes Anderson film. It features a variety of people that have all started his films before, including a few new entrants as well. The basic premise involves a, a magazine called The French Dispatch, which is a, a, a French-based magazine that, oper, that operates in France, but is a like a spinoff from the Kansas Evening Sun. <laughs> because, <laughs> of course, it is. Hey man, he just, yeah, he loves... Uh... He's a Francophile living. He's an American Francophile by that. I mean, Bill Murray. Bill Murray plays Arthur Howitzer Jr., the editor of the French Dispatch. Uh, he he basically provides for a lot of writers, and this film works as an anthology story that is divided up as a magazine would be. So you start off with the framing device involving Bill Murray's character, then you have Owen Wilson who plays a travel writer who gives like a brief a brief story. And then you have three more extended pieces. Uh, I'll just name them and some cast members, and we can kind of get into what we thought of it. But the, there's the Concrete Masterpiece, which stars Benicio Del Toro and Adrian Brody. 
and uh, Tilda Swinton plays the the writer that is responsible for this article. Uh, you have Revisions to a Manifesto, which features Timothy Chalamet, and Francis McDormand plays the journalist uh, working on this one. And then you have The Private Dining Room of a Police Commissioner, and this one features Jeffrey Wright, who's both the writer as well as somewhat the star of this thing, among others, um, in this elaborate <laughs> kidnapping story that's really supposed to be a uh, food a food-based uh, writing piece. <laughs> we'll get into these more as we go along. Um, but yes, it's, you left it's... out the best part. That's the, it's what makes a story. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> but um, true to form, it's very much a Wes Anderson film as far as the various designs, the cinematography, the production design, what have you. We're going to get more into this as we go into it. So I'll just start with you, Abe, <laughs> just to get some general thoughts. What did you think sure. of the French Dispatch? Uh, I, I left the theater thinking this is a, uh, D fucking lightful movie. And I think that if you're a fan of Wes Anderson, you follow his works, you're going to like this movie because it's what I mentioned. It's Wes Anderson to T, you know, the way that it's designed, the way that it's shot. It, it, it's very niche in that it's a movie about a magazine, which is related to the New Yorker. And if Wes Anderson likes something, I guess he just like clings on to things and, and will make movies about them. Um, and so it is broken up very much in there, – there's no like one central through story. There's central through characters, but the entire plot of the movie is basically just written out like the way that a magazine is um, with uh, articles and whatever else. So I thought that it was uh, not Wes's best, most complete work, uh, but that – doesn't mean that it doesn't show that his um, progress in how he's been trying to make films and express himself uh, isn't apparent. Like, it really is. There's a maturity to this movie as well. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's a maturity to this movie still. Um, and so it's different from, like, Bottle Rocket or Rushmore. Uh, I think his most complete work is probably Royal Bombs and then his um, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, which is a stop motion. But I thought this movie was... Super fun, delightful. I found it very curious. I, some of the vignettes, I laughed my ass off. And then some of the vignettes, I was like, oh, this is quite moving, quite touching. And I thought that everybody, like the the whole cavalcade of cast members during this are, are very fun. It did feel a little long to me at times, uh, especially like in the um, uh, the middle vignette. Surprisingly, the one with Timothy Chalamet and and um, Francis McDormand, but I'm sure that they're all sort of timed out the same way uh, in terms of uh, screen time. But there's maybe some like some pacing stuff that that I, I could fault it for. But overall, I thought it was a very um, Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, I uh, really liked it too, and it's it, it's the kind of thing where I can't wait to see this more um, right. because it's a packed, it's a dense film. There yeah. is. Like that doesn't take away from the fact that I really liked it this first time, just from you know seeing it and experiencing it. But it's the kind of movie uh, where there is so much going on and just the the basic design of it, um, as far as you know, visual references and various names of characters and what they're channeling and what it's going after. There's a lot there that will certainly benefit from you know revisits to it later on, which I find mm-hmm. to be the case with all Wes Anderson movies. They're very for me, they're very rewatchable. Hundred percent. Uh, the other thing, because we'll get into plenty of things about this film, but the thing I really like to emphasize is that, you know, as much as the French Dispatch could feel, you know, like a, a film made by someone that's very 
uh, inclined towards literature and things like The New Yorker and the kinds of writers that would write for The New Yorker and what have you, it's also just really, like, funny. Like, it's a really, like, funny movie that knows how to use screwball antics and what have you to, you know, like, I, I feel like sometimes there it seems you know the the idea that Wes Anderson's like twee and you know has this sort of air about him based off of like the kinds of references he's making or the way his films are displayed or characters are dressed or named or what have you i, I feel like it it puts people at a it could put pe- people at a distance of thinking that he's too mature for certain things but it's like this is a movie where like Adrian Brody gets chased around by Benicio del Toro in a wheelchair at one point i mean there's like, like a like lot a of pencil thin mustache there's like a lot of silly stuff that happens there's right. an animated car chase at one point in this yeah. movie i mean done in the style of tintin i mean it, it's right. there's so much like silliness going on here where it's like it, it's not like i feel like it's held him back because the guy keeps making exactly the movies he wants to make and they're generally well received and do about as well as movies like that can do at their kind of budget level so it's like and let alone the awards and the nominations he gets so it's like it's not like he's failing in any way or like he's doing right. what he needs to do and people seem to be accepting it but i but you know i i do feel like there's this weird association with like wes anderson's above it all where it's like the guy likes to have fun stuff happen in his movies and i really liked you know the fact that it's it's giving me some interesting stories that it wants to tell. At the same time, it, it's not afraid to just kind of let char- let characters roll, uh, just like be the kind of weirdness that they are in some places. Right. Like Adrian Brody is a good example of that. I, yeah, like, I was he, gonna bring him up later too. Like he's so sure. he's so in the like all like no one's bad in this cast, but like you know there's like people that are just like completely in the pocket to just like get rid of all their vanity and just be as silly as possible. Brody is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, in this movie. And it, it's weird because like I think that Wes Anderson taps into a Brody mm-hmm. that other directors can't do. Like, it's weird because. You know, we've seen him now in three or four of yeah, West Darjeeling, Darjeeling and uh, and uh, Budapest, Grand Budapest, and, and probably a voice in one of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I also should mention that Grand Budapest is, is also one of West's most complete works as well. I, I mentioned two others before, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that he's able to tap into these actors and be like, "Hey, man, I want you to be zany and weird," mm-hmm. and they're like, I, "I totally dig it because you know I don't want to be somber and serious all the time, or I don't want to be like an action star all the time." I do want to have like a weird cape and ask where a uh, boy with Apple is um, in my home. So just to get more into my general thoughts, like I, I you know, you, you say not as best that I agree with you at the same time. It's like this could rise over time. Like I currently have it like <laughs> ranked in the lower tier, but I also like every single Wes Anderson movie a lot. So it, like <laughs> yes. he, the guy for me has not missed. So it's like ju- just by saying it's, not the best of West End. It's like, that doesn't mean very much to me. This is still like, I, I, I still you. like this movie more than most of the things I've seen this year. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm a guy, yeah, I'm a guy who puts Darjeeling Limited as like, it's a really good movie. Like, exactly. It's like about that. sorrow and loss mm-hmm. and letting go of things. And people are like, I don't know. I don't really get it. It's like, I don't know. It's about Wes Anderson just like trying to go through his own feelings too. So. There's a, so with this movie, I think what, if I'm kind of trying to define what it is that brings this one lower, it's because it's an anthology film, honestly. Like it, it, and by doing that, compared to some of his other films, the emotional core is not as you know obvious because it's telling multiple different stories. So it has to kind of reset every half hour 
to kind of tell you something, you know, show you some new characters or what have mm -hmm. you. And it's not, it's less about trying to find a defining theme to an extent. There is a through line for sure. And there are things that connect each of these shorts, but I will say, and we can talk about these shorts separately, the, you know, the, the segments separately, but it is that last one of Jeffrey Wright, who's very clearly channeling James Baldwin among James others, Baldwin, um, right. that that's the one where not only did I have a lot of fun with it based off, everything that happens in it it has a lot of things that happen in it. um yeah. but it also it's the one where you have this amazing scene between him and bill murray that gets to i think the heart of what he's trying to do with this tale and like it took me the entire movie to get to that point where i could not mm -hmm. only be enjoying it just on an aesthetic level and on a comedy level and on a you know a directorial level but also one that like struck me more in the in, kind of in the, in the emotional center of what it's all doing so it's like yeah. that's the kind of stuff where I, I I very much appreciate it, but also like I can see where the limits are because I, I'm not as I, I it's not that I'm not invested, but I'm not invested in a certain kind of way just by nature of the the kind of story he's telling. The the yeah. way I've related this is in my mind is like as far as how to you know Wes Anderson is at this point he's so good at doing this kind of thing where he doesn't need necessarily need to make like one you know one big story that has certain meanings and all these themes and what have you he can make something like this which feels like a an episode out of the fifth season of mad men where it's just like that show can do whatever it wants to because it's just so good like <laughs> it's like at that at that point in the series they're like we don't necessarily need to have a a goal we can just make episodes because they're great all the time that's what this feels like it just feels like wes is like i'm not coasting i'm just doing the thing i like to do and i'm doing it well still <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I hear you on that front. I think that one thing that it's not even a disagreement. It's kind of just more of like the way that I would view this movie uh -huh. is that there isn't really a through line, like no central one story. So there's no like one character. I mean, there are the writers are the characters that are in all of the through lines, but it's pretty much just like a love letter to the New Yorker. And so in that, I'm just like, yeah, no, you accomplish everything that you set out to accomplish, which is you love this literature your these works um that we, you like the way that they write um how they're all kind of like sensed uh, in the same way um and it clearly shows that you you know you're passionate about this particular magazine um so the way that it comes off on the screen is sure yeah you know we're not following uh francis mcdormand throughout all three vignettes or all four if you include like the little brief one with uh owen wilson um but no like i i certainly do appreciate that West does have control of this film, you know what I mean? And I think I don't think you're disagreeing with that either. No. It's just um, it certainly feels as though it's it's um, and it's it's weird because it's not experimental. Uh, some directors might be like, hey, cool, I'm gonna try and do something like very like avant-garde or what have you. Uh, no, this isn't West. Like West is in complete control of this movie. I mean, it's 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 ambitious. I mean, it's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, too. Like, he has animation in this movie. He has animation. Uh, he has, I mean, among other things. Well, even, like, the, the like, think about that, like, Owen Wilson segment where it's him bicycling all over the town, except every yes. shot you see, it's him basically, like, just stationary with the backgrounds moving behind yes. him. Like, it feels right. like a film that's, it challenges, it seems like it's challenging him in a way where instead of having so many different locations, he's, like, boxing himself in at points and just and using, like, different kind. I, like especially with the as like he's playing so much of aspect ratios and now color yes. even too like it, there's a lot of like it's not outside of like if you like you could easily identify this one as a Wes Anderson film which is 
that's not necessarily a defining mark of a great director, but like it's sure. not it's not common either. It's rare you can you know see a shot of a Anderson film or, or you know somebody's film and I immediately identify the director. Not in the way right. you can do that with him or Burton or you know certain you know few other filmmakers where you can just yes, look at a yeah, frame and be like, oh, right. that's definitely Wes Anderson. Like it's not like it's going outside of that realm, but at the same time, there's stuff here that he's you know doing to push the limits of his own like you know unique touch on film yeah like his creativity is being challenged here for sure sure and and i i really do appreciate that because we're gonna get into the vignettes but i think that it also there's like uh i I know that the stories are the story by credits go to one of the coppolas and yeah roman uh, coppola roman coppola who he's worked with plenty and jason schwartzman (laughs) and hugo guinness are the all the hugo guinness yeah. yeah And so, you know, it's not as though, like, they're all from... Who's, the it, who's an illustrator it. for the New York the New York Times and among other there things. There you go, yeah. yeah. But I, I do appreciate that it's a culmination of multiple stories from the eye of Wes Anderson. And I'm sure that all the people that, that had story by credits are they're totally on board. I mean, definitely Schwartzman, mm-hmm. who uh, has worked with uh, um, Anderson for, like, everyone except for Bottle Rocket, I would think, right? He's worked with. Him. I mean, he's been around since Rushmore. Put it that way. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's been around since Rushmore. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, but yeah, no. Anyhow, um, and, I mean, to, to speak to your point about the like, yes, it's obviously a love letter to the New Yorker, but it's like a it's a love letter to artists, like in general, like just like all the different kinds between artists, writers, Correct. poets, yeah, exactly. poets, food critics, food critics. Like, there's so many, like, there's, like, clear... Critics, like, you, you mentioned, too, cartoonists. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, cartoon, like, yeah. Like, sketch cartoons, like, you know, simple New Yorker ones or, like, you know, color uh, colored ones. Because there's a great thank you at the end of this uh, movie mm-hmm. where he just pops up all these names of uh, artists, uh, whether they be writers, cartoonists, etc. Filmmakers, even. Like, yeah, Jacques, filmmakers. Jacques Tati is a very big example for this as far yeah. as style, which is its old... Uh, and he just writes a big thank you card to them at mm-hmm. the end of the movie, which is very, very nice, you know. It, and that's, that's the other thing. This, this movie, it, it has such a, like, even with the stuff that goes on, it's not like anything necessarily heinous goes on, although there's a lot of dark humor in some of it. But <laughs> yeah, sure. it's it's a pretty warm film. Like, sometimes, I don't necessarily think films are cold, but there's certainly, there could be a, a bit of an attachment to some of the things that happen in the films, uh, sometimes, other times that like Budapest is a very warm film, for example. But like Budapest, I w- I've I've seen that movie like seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where there's a dryness to some of them that you know can can take away from the impact some of the events are having on the film. Some like Isle of Dogs, I guess, like the most recent example is there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that happens there that's that's not nice, <laughs> but, right. but serves the story in its own way. This film, I think, is very warm. It seems like it's very inviting as far as wanting you to ha- like be in on the fun that the characters are having in this thing. Very much so. And I would say. For an anthology, I've been watching a lot of anthology films recently. For whatever VHS reason, VHS ninety four, VHS ninety four. Like I was watching a lot of horror <laughs> anthologies because I like horror anthologies, but also because uh-huh. I was I was a guest on Battleship Pretension like a few months ago, and we talked about yeah. anthology films in general. And it kind of like I I crammed so many in. So like seeing Wes Anderson make an anthology, I, and I didn't know it was an anthology film until basically right before the movie started. I didn't realize I was the format of this thing. So I was pretty surprised by that. Was right. Cool. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it was the format either. And then you quickly do get what it, what mm-hmm. they're going to do. I mean, they break it down for you anyway. Sure. But, uh, what, but I was gonna, what I was going to say real quick yeah. is that um, by default, 
because it's a Wes Anderson film, it has like the best bookends that an anthology film. Like normally that's like my least favorite part. But here you have Bill Murray leading the way for all the stuff, you know, the interstitial stuff in between the different movies or the different, you know, segments. So I was like, this is this is all good. Like, all, like I don't have to, like, right. you know, bore myself through the, like, the, you know, set up for the next skit. Like, no, this is just all good stuff. So I yeah. just really enjoyed that. I would agree. Uh, you want to get into the vignettes? Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk, so let's talk about the fra- let's talk about those bookends, the kind of the framing sure. device that sets this thing all up. Um mild spoilers <laughs> but i mean sure, it, it yeah. sets the thing up but uh the yeah and i guess we can we can debate this a little bit as far as where things go from here but the the idea is that bill murray's character the editor he has died he dies of a mm-hmm. heart attack uh, which kind of sets certain things in motion uh, but you also get a bit of a, like a flashback to him doing his work uh, right. which is to handle his writers and construct this magazine based around what they've tried to put into it and what his, what the budget can afford the magazine. Right. Yeah. And within this segment, you have Bill Murray, you have Elizabeth Moss, Jason Schwartzman, Fisher Stevens, uh, Angelica Houston's the narrator. Oh, <laughs> um, what? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. And then like the writers come in and out of the story as well. Yeah. Um. There's not like a ton to you know to discuss here because it's not like something there's mostly just set up. It's a lot of setup, yeah. but also you just kind of get a, a feel for the like, like it gives you the big um, that big sequence where like the um, the waiter like has all the different things that all the writers yes. need. And you see yeah. him walk through all the drinks. Lot. So you have to see him walk through this elaborate series of stairs and ladders to get up to like the offices well of the French dispatch. Yeah, very well done on the editing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's uh, little, but, yeah, it, there's little uh, like quick cuts of like the of him like going up some stair because it's like all stationed like outside of the building, but you see through right. all the windows the different places he's in in the building, and it's very funny. <laughs> it's very funny, and I actually do appreciate it at the at one stoppage point in a hallway, you see that the drinks actually some of them are for him. Yeah, exactly, because so he has to do so much work to get through them. it. <laughs> yeah, he's going up these stairs, and then you know he'll he'll deliver the drinks. But um, I also just want to say, like, the, the opening bookend, uh, the opening bookend, the opening part of the bookends mm-hmm. um, is it's 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 really fun backstory. It's like, hey, by the way, Bill Murray is from, like, uh, Kansas or Nebraska, and he just he, he still wants to write for this paper. He purchased that. He purchased the paper, kind of just like turned it on its head a little bit more, um, a little bit more of like a Francophile approach to things. Mm-hmm. But. He still sells it in like the U.S. to like hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers, um, and I think like the joke is like even though it doesn't really make a whole lot of money, it's not in, like huge circulation. He still just does it. He he's like uh, he's like Aaron and Abe. Yeah, exactly. He just like exactly does like podcasting, <laughs> and then it's like here it is for free. He's charging for it, but I I really do appreciate the setup of hey this guy is passionate about what he wants to do, um, and it kind of like is something that he's always wanted to do. Like he's always wanted to be um writing and and being like an editor and and i forget what else but it it certainly it wasn't like a job that bill burner fell into it's something that he had a passion for there's a lot of detail you get within all of this but yeah within this for just to see like the idea of what it is to make a magazine at least in the kind of the film's perspective of that Mm -hmm. um all right so the net the first like segment is the briefest one because it's a travelogue but it's yeah it's the cycling reporter it's it features (laughs) Owen Wilson as these names. Herb Saint Serzak? Serzarak? <laughs> uh, is, 
Yes, there's a wreck. Sure, sure. Yeah. So this one's pretty brief. It's just him, like he's cycling through the town of and and en- en- Um, uh, it, it the French Hanoi? Yeah, uh, man, I'm, it, it's spelled E N N U I, but yeah. uh, I. It's a fictional I, location. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just upset that it's like oh, because I really like the name of it as I was leaving the theater. So I'll think about it later, and I'll just blurt it out. Well. I mean, this one's it, it's pretty. Ennui, ennui. Ennui. Thank you, Jesus yes, Christ. Thank you. Yeah, I was uh, like, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Like game. I knew saying it, it wasn't right. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, you're not right. You're, you're not wrong in, in like you know the way that you would think that it's pronounced. But there is like a really fun French uh, ness to it. If I if it hasn't been like a week and a half since I've seen it, I would have had it on the on the tip of my tongue a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> but this one's pretty straightforward. But it is just nice to see Owen Wilson in in like in like a full role again in a Wes Anderson film. It's been a long time since he's a, like. A, a, like he was briefly in Budapest, but like he's like a bellhop, yeah. Yeah, but now he has like he has like the first like full role he's had since Darjeeling. <laughs> was um was the under undersea one before Life, Life Aquatic before Darjeeling? Okay, yeah, yeah, the, since Darjeeling, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I mean, this one's like pure comedy. Uh, just a lot of him describing the various places he's living or he's 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 touring around in the city. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's yeah it's very light very fun it kind of gives you a sense of the city because um you know he just tells you like the people are and what they do i i really i love like the opening like the morning scene where the you literally have like a stage set mm-hmm. and people are just like entering the stage scene and doing things and it feels very complete but i also just really the other thing i really liked is um how the the altar boys would would sneak attack you? Yeah, the pickpo- no the, the pickpockets. Yeah. <laughs> they're like attacking this old woman, and then they attack Owen Wilson, mm. and he flies off his bike. It's it's great. So there's the some, visuals are there. There's some the good quirks. running, yeah, little running bits within like the right. ten minutes of this segment. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, and then and you know the way that it, it sort of resolves itself, and this is true of every other vignette, is that they just go back into Bill Murray reading it as the editor and be like. Did that really happen? Or <laughs> you know, he's asking like good editor questions. Yeah, and he has notes, and he has like all of these articles are like way too long. Like this is a magazine, <laughs> and they're like you know thirty five thousand word articles that these guys are writing. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like I asked you to write a nine thousand, <laughs> nine thousand word article. It's like yeah. how much did you write? Thirty five thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is fun to see like those bits as far as him like. Because again, he 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 loves his writers and he sub, he supports them and fights for them. So it's like he, right. he basically gives in each time to different right. degrees. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, the first one is fairly short. It's it kind of just like really dips you into the city. Um, but yeah, not not a whole lot else. Um, yeah, these other three that. have more substantial stuff taking place. So the next one, and, and it's, uh-huh. it's subsequently seen on the screen as well because it shows you the page length that they go to. Right? Yeah. So the first one with Owen Wilson is like three pages long. It's like three pages six through nine or whatever and then the other one is like from page 10 through 52 or something so so this next one is the concrete masterpiece this one features benicio del toro as an incarcerated artist uh who paints abstract photos or abstract uh pictures based off of a prison guard named simone played by elias adu mm-hmm. um he is discovered by Adrian Brody's art dealer character, who operates an art dealing company <laughs> with Henry Linkler and Bob Balaban, because of course he does. Of course. Um, and what is it like? It's called like the uncles and the nephew or something like that. It's yeah, like... it's something ridiculous. <laughs> like very on the nose. Yeah. 
And you're just like, what is this? So we're watching, like, this story, and we see kind of its origins play out that are narrated on a stage by Tilda Swinton as J.K.L. Berenson. Uh, so, like... Who's the author of the article? She's the author of the article who's narrating the article, and then we're wa- and as she narrates it, we watch the events of the article, and we kind of yeah. go back and forth to like see like young Benicio Toro's Tony Revolori. Like, so there's like, right. like just describing this is like just shows how many layers that, and this is within, of course, the main narrative of Bill Murray reading these articles. Yes. And here's yeah. your, okay, before I get into this, so this is the thing I was gonna ask you. The mm-hmm. the articles were present that are presented these three art these three stories that we see yeah. in this movie. Are these stories that are in the last issue based off his heart because he died, or are these just like random stories from throughout his time doing this? They're they're the last ones that are going to be. They're printed. the last ones. Because he approves all three of them. He says we're not going to cut any of them. And then again, he asks like the storyboard editor. He's like, hey, which one should I go first? He's like, this one. Uh, and then that's how we enter this. Uh, Got it. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to, like that's I that was my main thought, but I was like, well, maybe there's I don't know. It doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this that's the concrete masterpiece. We basically watch the events unfold between Benicio del Toro, his artist, who's. Very troubled. He accidentally decapitated two people. Uh, um, one, <laughs> one was by accident, and the other one was self-defense. Apparently, <laughs> um, this this is a very. I mean, they're all like silly inherently, but this one like there's a there's a lot of funny stuff that happens. There in this is, movie. yeah. Um, I do want to ask you like before we get into all three of them. Did you have a favorite one? The third one is my favorite one. The third one is your favorite. Okay, so right. the yeah. one with the chef. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this one a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite one. I, I would say probably like the, the middle one is my favorite one just because of um, like the way that he sets up uh, like moody teenagers. But this one is like a, they're all very good. Mm-hmm. What I love about this one is Benicio Del Toro in a Wes Anderson movie. He's fucking great. <laughs> Benicio like, Del Toro. It's not that I underrate him, but it's like anytime he shows up in something, I'm like, this move, like we're already good. <laughs> like, yes. we got, like he's he's he is such a consistently great actor, and he does things so, you know, he plays things quiet a lot, and it's always an addition. Like it, it like yes. it it always adds to how, whether it's intense or brooding or comedic in this case, it it works so well. Just 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 like see, his presence just brings a lot to any movie. It really does, and I think that there was, like, the, um, like, you see why he's such a great actor and why he won an Academy Award, but I, I just really love how it's Benicio Del Toro. I can't believe that he's here. And then, again, he knocks it out of the park being, like, this troubled artist who has um, a muse, and then he finds out that he, he's in love and maybe he, he – uh, doesn't want to paint anymore. It's 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 very it's a, a very complete story. But along the way, there's like all these like weird quirks because yes, I love how uh, Adrian Brody's like, I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars for this, but I can only give you a paperclip, like uh, an eggshell and whatever else, and I'll give Wait. you a hundred thousand dollars like later. Yeah, yeah, it's like a down payment. Within, within he has, like, like ninety the days, stuff he has. <laughs> yeah, there's so many, yeah, it really is. That was like all the little like details that are yeah that are good. Like they're they're fictional as far as like none of like these locations all don't exist. The currency that they're dealing with is generally like fake. <laughs> like it's like it's there's there's so many like little touches and stuff that again will reward so much when like seeing these movies over and over. As far as like yeah, how much detail I, they're how much th- how thought out all this stuff is. And I think to your point about rewatching earlier, there because these are all vignettes, 
they're very complete. And so there's a lot of details that I may have missed that I have to go back and watch. Um, but yeah, I, I did enjoy this one. I, I thought that it was funny in a weird way because of Benicio's character. But also, I was like, this is I, this guy and the guy who directed Paddington 2 need to like get together and make like a prison movie because I would watch those <laughs> for sure. Right? You know, like uh-huh. we've seen we've seen Wes Anderson do prison stuff with um, Grand Budapest. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of like fun things in this one. I, I do like the art, uh, that is presented here. Um, and you mentioned her earlier, Tilda Swinton is fucking, she's so funny, incredible <laughs> in doing this, this stuff. Yeah. yeah. She, she's got a weird voice. She's like Adrian it's Brody. Very, it's probably two people that are like game to just do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I love about, you know, we mentioned earlier, like Wes Anderson just being like, I want you to really do this. And like, it really gets to the actors. So she's like got a weird poofy hairstyle orange dress this is like in the 70s or something and then she's got like this really like loud audacious voice and like she has like weird funny quirky things that she says throughout her presentation as well and i found her to be so charming in this first vignette it's actually funny how the 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 further we go the more the writers become involved in the story like she's the most tangential to this story where prince of mcdormand's like right in the heart of it and then jeffrey jeffrey wright is like the heart of the of his he, story he's basically yeah. his story so like but like her she because she still be swinton still becomes like her own character within this as you watch her presenting this whole thing and having her own little quirks as, as right. far as like the break she takes to like yes take, you know to get get a drink or she, and she gets you. it herself yeah behind the, behind the uh, exactly the, the, the dais yeah. yeah the other thing though i like about this one this is the segment that teaches you kind of how to watch this movie yeah. uh because of the way anderson plays of color and aspect ratio I like how it's like most of these stories are in black and white. This one's in black and white, except when you see the art for like the first time or or any subsequent times that you see the art, it suddenly flashes to color just to give you like, it just makes it like, it's just to like make an impression on the viewer as far as what they're seeing. So they can like, like, they can basically relate to what the characters are seeing as far as this art goes. Like since the, since like the, the stories are essentially flashbacks those are purposely in black and white to distinguish that between the Bill Murray segments, right? But then you get these occasional bursts of color to emphasize certain points. I just find that all just, I just find that all so like, like really cool, honestly, for like yeah. Wes Anderson to be like, I, I have a way I want to present this so it's not confusing to you without having to shout it out at you. And so he yeah. uses that by changing the aspect ratios, much like he did in Grand Budapest, or, or you know, in using color when he needs to. There's a moment he does that in the third segment um where um uh, Saoirse Ronan has a small role where right. where where he shows the this young boy who's been kidnapped her blue eyes and the and the movie flashes to color so you can very much see her intense blue eyes and it's like right. there's yeah. a, and be, and because the movie's been so firm in how it uses color and whatnot it's like I get why they're doing this I get what the impact is supposed to be and it's all been done because the movie's smart enough to know how to communicate that to the viewer that's just that's that's good direction. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I also like how there could have been a joke, or at least I perceived it as a joke, of the young boy is a young detective. He's the son of, of the police lieutenant or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just guessing what her eye colors, and he guessed right. <laughs> and it's like, you would never know that they were blue. And then she's just like, oh, I guess he does know. So, yes, I agree with you that there's bursts of color here. Well done, especially like uh, in this first one where the yeah, art is the, the thing art. that comes alive. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, 
let's get to the next one. Yeah, the next one is Revisions of a Manifesto. This one features uh, Frances McDormand as Lucinda Kremitz. Uh, she is profiling a student revolutionary played by Timothy Chalamet as <laughs> Zeffirelli. Uh, he, uh, he and his girlfriend, uh, Juliet, played by Lina Kurdi. Uh, they're both... They're revolting against the system in this chessboard revolution. Uh, yes. I... I, I'm not even sure we're supposed to necessarily know what their goal is, although... They're, they're revolting against boys not being allowed in the all-girls that's, Exactly, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I thought, <laughs> that's what I, and that's what I wrote in my review. It's like, I think it just boils down to they just want to be allowed to go in the girls' dorm. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But, like, they have this whole thing about a manifesto, and even when it's read, they just kind of, like, mumble through it purposely, so you don't really yes. hear what's going... Like, it, so it's it's vague on purpose. Like, I, yeah, that's the apparently the, the main goal, but I don't know if it goes any further than that. But that's not the point, right? It's just it's trying to tell you this... You know the story of these of these teenagers that are just holding a revolution, uh, and uh, yeah. and Frances McDormand gets caught up in this to the point where she becomes a, a lover for Zeffirelli and involves herself directly in the story, which is like a code that she keeps repeating to herself that she can't do. Right, and and this one is very indicative of the embedded reporter stories. You know what I mean? Where it's like, hey, I'm I'm here in like this this war zone, but again, it's it's basically just um, teenagers that are revolting. But I found this one to be uh kind of emotional uh especially at the end there where what happens to zeffirelli and how how she writes it um especially the way that it's, it sounds very poetic um but then there's like a, there's like a, a play within this vignette as well yeah about the kid who gets drafted and he comes back and he's like no i'm not gonna fight for like the 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 oppressors that take away our, our right to like do whatever and i was like wow this is a really like powerful thing to say like I can see this re- being written in an essay and be like, I, I see this kid's point of view. Uh, but I found this one to be very fun in that it is, like what Aaron said, it's like a mishmash of ridiculous things. They're not really fighting about anything, but then the, it feels like it's the world to these kids. And I find that to be very <laughs> amusing. Um, but I love Frances McDormand. I don't think that she's been in any Wes Anderson movies no, she before. Is. Yeah, she, has. she has. She was in. Um, oh, she was in um, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise, as, yeah, as she's well. like the mom. Yeah, yeah, she's the mom. Moonrise Kingdom. She's in. She's a. She's one of the dogs in Isle of Dogs. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she's. Yeah, she's. She's been she's, in. She's in. She's in the fold. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I found her to be very good, very charming, um, and again, the way that she interacted with Timmy Chalamet and the way that Chalamet interacted with everybody else. But I think above all else. I like the style in this one. Um, I mean, there's style in all of them, but what I, I liked about this one is that there's a scene where they have to, they're sitting in front of a cafe and you literally see the guys like move the stage pieces and it just becomes like the interior of the cafe. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is so neat to see like movie magic at work. Like if you see some of the behind the scenes stuff with Wes Anderson, especially like with M Gustav and zero on the train, you're like, they're actually not even in a train. They're just like in like, they're on like a little trolley with like a window set up and they, they just recorded it that way. So it's very amusing to see like, you know, a peek behind the curtain kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think overall there, there's a sense of somberness in this story, in the second one that I was like, Oh, you know, like I, I, it's all fun and games. Yes. But there, there can be real life things that happen as well. There is something there that, yeah, it builds to something and I being vague on purpose, but like there's, yeah. It's not necessarily mocking, but there's certainly like a there's an element there where 
I can see what kinds of things it's calling to mind when it does certain actions. Right. And uh, and I don't think it takes away from it. I do think it works for itself. It's it just, it is, you know, it is a farce at the end of the day also. So it's, you know, humorous just to think about certain things. Yeah. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? The, um, what I... What I saw in this one over the other two, where the where I find the other two to be pretty self-contained, and I wouldn't necessarily ask for more of either of them. I think they do what they're trying to do within the time they have. Mm-hmm. This one feels like it could practically be a sequel to Moonrise or like its own thing. Like I think like, there's, yeah. there's an easy. I, I think this would be an easy one to flesh out into its own like full-length coming-of-age story. Um, right. And I and I do like it's not. I'm not saying Wes Anderson needs sequels, but it's like I can easily see these two characters from Moonrise being like these two characters in this movie and like. Like taking a natural kind of step in, in that direction, um, but re- regardless, I do think there's there's a lot here where I do think it could serve itself as its own thing, and that, I mean, maybe that's why, the, like I, again, not lesser on as far as I think this one's no, bad, you. but you know, it's the one that like I'm connected to least by comparison, just because I do think there's potential to do more with this story where it's like yeah and i think that's why maybe i felt this one dragged the most too because i mentioned that earlier on it's like it maybe the pacing is in this one it feels a little bit long but yeah um, that's the most kind of slack because i feel like there's just like there's stuff there that like if we expanded this i feel like i can get a really more well-rounded you know version of what this story is trying to be agreed yeah and again like it's kind of no nonsense and you because it's no nonsense and, and kind of vague general you could kind of apply this to a lot of stories that you've read before, whether it's like Mario Savio or mm. anybody, any young revolutionary that's like coming of age and deciding that they, they want to revolt against it. Um, I mentioned the style earlier. They do this in the first vignette, too, when Louis Sidhu is speaking in French. But I like the way that, that he uses text on screen. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. It's not the way that you normally think of text. Like whenever she speaks in French, yes, sometimes it'll be at the bottom where it's subtitled. But no, it's actually in and a non-linear like order and that i found that to be very intriguing so i was like i, I like that he's like playing with things as well wes anderson is playing with things so let's talk about the third one yeah your favorite this is the private dining room of the police commissioner this one features mm-hmm. jeffrey wright as roebuck wright very easy to great name. <laughs> very easy to keep track of which one jeffrey yeah. wright plays he's a food journalist um, as I mentioned, he's based off um, Jay's Baldwin, among others. And, um, A.G. Liebling, I read, also is another one. who's another American journalist. I mean, he like dressed. He's dressed on. But he's, yeah, he's like, very much. He like the depiction of him is very much like Jay's yeah. Baldwin. <laughs> it's like it's hard not to think. Right. Uh, this is right at his most right, by the way. Like he is so like when I when he's not playing like more subtle characters, the kind of like source code is when I go to a lot as far as like him like being uh-huh. ult- ultimate Jeffrey Wright as far as how quick-witted he seems and how uh, over-enunciated some of his words are that seems to be exactly what he's doing here and all for the better because i think it's i mean i also think this is the best performance in the movie i, I really like jeffrey Wright in this, in this movie yeah. and in this segment uh, but he plays a food journalist who is initially <laughs> like well for what there's a framing device in this one too because he's he's on a talk show with Liev schreiber who plays yes. talk show host and um and he's That's his name yeah talk he's just credited as talk show host so he's on this tel- television interview where he's recounting this story of attending a private dinner uh with the what's the what's the city's name again uh on <laughs> on the Ennui police force the commissioner of the Ennui police force um because the 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 commissioner has like a world-class chef uh right. who's, who's played by stephen park uh mike yanagita from fargo um, he, he is, um, 
like the whole point of this was for him to write an article about the chef, but instead we get this whole elaborate situation involving him having a dinner, but then the son of the police commissioner gets kidnapped. And I forget how this connects to Willem Dafoe, who's in jail as like some underworld accountant guy. Like, there's this, <laughs> right. that's a part of this as well. I mean, we also uh, forgot to mention that like uh, maybe Academy that's... Award winner, um, uh, uh, fuck, what's his name from Django and Inglorious Bastards? Oh, Christoph Waltz is in Christoph here. Christoph Waltz yeah. shows up in the second vignette too. Yeah, he kind of Yes, he does. But yes, yeah, you're right. That that uh, you know everybody's favorite and one of Wes Anderson's company players as well. Uh, Willem Dafoe shows Willem up in Dafoe. this one, and uh, he's like the accountant for like a crooked family. Yeah, um, he's it, like been locked up in the um the bird cage so or the birdhouse. That gets mixed up into all of this. The Edward Norton's the kidnapper who takes the child to begin with. <laughs> There's like all of this stuff going on, and it's it's convoluted on purpose. Obviously, yes. like it's trying to like be this whole whole thing. Um, and we get to see a lot of different things happen involving like stakeouts and shootouts and car chases and all of this action and whatnot. While the story again is just supposed to be about the chef. Yeah. Who's... You do see lovely food preparation. You, yeah, you see great food preparation. It looks amazing to see some of the stuff that happens here. Stephen Park doing very very good job as being three of himself. But what I so without just describing stuff that happens, you just just see the movie at this point. Right. Cause it, but the 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 thing it bought and not to like I'm not gonna spoil what happens exactly, sure. but like what it. What it eventually gets down to is this kind of meeting between Wright, who's very much involved in his own story, and Bill Murray, who enters this story as well. And there are exchanges they have that are far more poignant than, I think, anything else I saw in the movie, which I really appreciated. Because it gets to it gets to some of the roots of what what it is to be like an artist and a writer and to have the power to kind of share certain kinds of information with people. At the same time, because you have Jeffrey Wright you know, a person of color in a Wes Anderson film, which is not a very frequent thing. What I recognized in that is that it feels like Wes Anderson, he's not an idiot. He's not unaware of, you know, certain criticisms about him. I do think that by having this character and having him, the the monologues he gets and the exchanges he has, it is a bit of a self-acknowledgement of what he could be doing differently and how to grow. And I, I found that to be quite fascinating in the midst of everything that's going on. Like, there's this silly story about a kidnapping taking place, but there's also this genuine heart that's both referencing the themes of the film, as well as, I think, some 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 areas that Wes Anderson himself as an artist is trying to kind of tackle as well, as far as how he can grow. And I, I, just, yeah. I thought that all came together really well. I can definitely see that, especially uh, given the page that he leaves out of, exactly. of the article uh-huh. and how they discuss it, but also how poignant that that is because they do flash back to mm-hmm. the entire scene. He shoots – West shoots the entire scene. And you think to yourself like, eh, yes, it is about food at that point. But what I think your point is driving at too is that the author, Roebuck Wright, is trying to get past that. And he's like, yes, I came there for food. But then what I found out was this sense of like humanity – Mm-hmm. If we want to call it that, yeah, no, but not not just for like myself. I'm sorry, not 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 just for like the police commissioner and the son, but also for myself. And I was like, wow, that's uh, that's some deep thinking there, Wes. It's so. the it's the kind of thing where like if this went to the length of getting like Oscars, if like Jeffrey Wright was nominated for something, or this film, best supporting, yeah, yeah, or this film got a screenplay or or even a best picture to some degree, 
this is the scene they would play. <laughs> like, this is easily that scene. Like, yeah, it, it I don't so think much you going have any of the other scenes. I mean, like, maybe, maybe the scene at the end, but, you know, I don't know. You could, like, if you wanted to play, like, if Benicio, like, you could play, like, him and Sado just, like, having their conversations about stuff. Like, there's silly <laughs> stuff there. Or even Francis McDormand having, like, certain scenes of Chalamet. Like, there's stuff you could play. But if you wanted to, like, get to... I'm shy of my new muscles. Exactly. <laughs> If you want, Chalamet. but if you want to get to like deeper, Chalamet's great in this, by the way, too. He's, he, he, he is. He, yes. he, he, he Everybody's fits, great. He fits right into this world. Like he gets it. He really does. <laughs> he's yeah. having a he's having a banner month. Let me tell you, <laughs> between this and dude, he's doing his job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to like hit on, you know, more of the serious side, I do think it's yeah, it's it's kind of those interactions with Bill Murray that I think really go a long way to, you know, recognize that yes, this is all a farce, but at the same time. There's meaning behind the farce. There's meaning here, and that goes for yeah. all of them. Like you mentioned, there is there is somber material taking. Like even like the you described the play within the the vignette for that second one. There's it's a very powerful. It play. is. There's some powerful stuff going on there. I I really appreciated. Yeah. Uh, like is I, it as good as as Max's play in Rushmore? I don't know, but <laughs> you know, one one of them is better than the other. I'm sure, it, but it's, they're both. It's, very it's better good. than his Serpico adaptation. <laughs> Um, it's, but, pro- yeah, it's probably I, better than the uh, Cir- the animal one that Gwyneth Paltrow did in, the, the, in Royal Tannenbaums. <laughs> what? It was a bunch of animals in kid costumes. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Good night, everyone. <laughs> um, I can't remember if her hair catches fire in the in the outtake or in real uh, or in the movie, uh, the mom. But I, I think it was in the outtake. I think it's the outtake. Yeah. Yeah. It, with all that being said, though, back to uh, the French Dispatch. I think that's that there is a a nice nice isn't the right word, but nice is like the word that in in terms of like it's very calming, but it's also very like mature adult uh, in the theme of the third one, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really is a good way to bring it home, like the movie to bring it home. It is because then it gets you back to you know basically the epilogue of the film where you kind of deal with you know what's happened next after. Right with Bill Murray no longer in the scenario and you see what the, you know, the different writers are saying about things or whatnot, which again goes to less about specificity because there's a lot of mumbles as opposed to actual conversation, <laughs> which is really, which is always really funny. Um, but you still get the sense of this is a community of people and they all, they all really respect what they're doing and who they're doing it for. Yes, and, exactly. And I do think by the order, by ordering this magazine, the way they have, it's a great balance, like, because you get the silliest one first, you get this second one that has its own thing going on, then you get this third one that has a way of, yes, kind of, like, naturally moving towards what happened, you know, how the how it has to wrap itself up. Yeah, and I think ultimately what I what I really liked about the ending here, and, and Wes is good at endings, Wes, Wes is one of my favorite directors, because thematically he does a lot of, um, like, relationship themes, uh, whether that's brother-sister or father-son, father daughter uh you know whether it's parents or siblings exactly (laughs) it's basically yeah thank you yeah but it's it's about that this dysfunction of it Mm -hmm. and you see the dysfunction but that ultimately you realize that you know all these people do care for each other and you you mentioned that earlier just now there is a level of respect for bill murray's character um even though there you know he 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 seems kind of like off-putting at times where he just went crying in his office or he he wants to edit something that he feels should be edited um, can be kind of harsh, but ultimately he relents uh, and they do respect him. And I, I really do appreciate the way that the movie ends, like um, the the way that they are like, well, we should draw something. And it's like, that's totally him. And I was like, 
yeah, it does. It's the caricature of him, but it is him. Um, but then they, the way that it, the way that they keep printing the magazine. So there's also the other stuff um, that makes up a Wes Anderson film. There's more. Yeah, there's the uh, Alexandre Desplat score. Cannot go without Desplat. He's what? What? What should I not have expected? It's great. Like it, everything yes. fits the mood. The the random international tracks that are scattered throughout this film all just fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know we we can we've already kind of referenced the fact that it just the way it looks and everything. But Robert Yeoman is a cinematographer once again. He's doing a great job. Uh, Adam Stockhausen, I believe, is the production designer um, who won an Oscar. Production for, design is fantastic. He, what, he, he, this he, yeah, he's been his production designer forever, and he won an Oscar for Budapest. So it's like I I'm not not expecting these things to be handled yeah. the best way they can be, but it's like God, these guys are good at what they do. <laughs> like, they really are, yeah. and. <laughs> Uh, I definitely see why why there are teams now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I know that you don't. Sometimes you like Kaminsky more than other times, but Spielberg goes to Kaminsky, uh, or Nolan will go with uh, his guy uh, Wally Fister from time to time. Although I think Wally Fister's kind of been on the picture yeah, for a while. Been out, yeah, it's it's been um, what's his name? Hoyte van Hoyten. Oh yes, yeah, Hoyte van Hoytema. Uh But yeah, you know, they're they're when people get it, they get it, and so that's why. Uh, this is an aside, but I was listening to the DGA pod where Nolan was talking to Villeneuve, um, and he's just like, uh, he learned a lot from Roger Deakins because they worked on like four films, three mm-hmm. films mm-hmm. together. And so that's why he, he really knew how to do like the visual effects in this one because he and Roger were doing editing on this uh, for 2049 and further things. So he kind of had like a master class. But it, it, with all that being said, like the way that Anderson moves with his team, very fluid. Which, I mean, you need for something like, you know, this, like, it's so indebted to everything that you've come to know Wes Anderson for. Like, it's very much a, well, here's a question for you. Like, sure. you know, this is, there's 10 Wes Anderson films now. This one is, you know, it's fairly dense. Where, where would you say you'd like, if you're trying to, like, study up on Anderson and you want to kind of take, like, you know, you know, jump in at the easy level and then, like, progressively get harder and harder, where would you put this on that scale? This one? Yeah. This is a little bit this is a little like, bit. Is more this of like advanced course? course? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's definitely like intermediate, maybe like beginner advanced. And the reason why is because like we mentioned, you see some of like the way that he's I mean, Bottle Rocket is like his first movie, kinda got a, a lot of attention. But you see a lot of like the the writing is there and the style is sort of showing up. And then you see Rush Rushmore. Rushmore. Rushmore? Yeah. Yeah. Um and what what's the other title it could have been? I thought it was like Rush Mount, <laughs> <laughs> but then you see Rushmore and it's like oh wow you know this guy has a lot of style and he has a lot of ideas and then you see Royal Tenenbaums you're like oh this guy is a fucking artist you know what I mean and it gets it gets increases from there but we talked about it it seems though like he progresses every time so that's why I think that you couldn't really you couldn't really plop somebody in and be like oh watch this one and you'll get him it's like now, you kind of need to see him, like, when he, like, w- what his, I, I don't like using this word with Wes Anderson or maybe any other director, I, what his quirks are. And then once you know what his quirks are, then you can sort of pay attention to other things. Because he writes almost like Aaron Sorkin, where it's sometimes fast-paced dialogue. But yeah, it's, the, it's all, it's, it's, dense, it's very stylized, too. No, one's, yeah, no one speaks the way people speak in Wes Anderson movies. So. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, then again, the, the visual aspect and the visual nature. So when you get to something like, um, what's the one with like the two kids? Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. You're like, oh wow, this is like a turn because 
it's about the things that he always likes to write about relationships and childhood but it's it's much more self-serious as well and then you get to the like grand budapest and you're just like yeah he's put together like all of his thoughts now and it's completely like he's he's become like a full-blown jedi so um yeah i i wouldn't say that this is necessarily like one that you could say like yeah just plop in you'll get it i think that you kind of have to ease into things so i would almost go uh by release date like you should check out bottle rocket but if you don't check out bottle rocket I guess you can check out Rushmore and then Royal Tenenbaums. I, I could agree that the first three are – that's an easy way to get into Wes Anderson. I would say Fantastic Mr. Fox is a pretty easy way to get into Wes Anderson as well. That's true, um, yeah. But it, not, not, not to take away – it's an adaptation, but also like – it's also a, a good work. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's, it's, I mean so there's, I mean, there's like a lot of seriousness in it where I actually do like middle age and it also ponders death to some degree with like the Willem Dafoe stuff yeah it's the guy this is like my two favorite Wes films are Mr. Fox and Steve Zissou uh which is the 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 bad the the two different ends of the spectrum because I think Steve Zissou would be more of advanced course Wes Anderson where Mr. Fox is fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox is more of a I mean it's a kid's movie so I mean it's, I like it's, how that we've, we've designed this in college rubrics so I just think it's I it. think it's a, it's I, I do like it it's know? something we should do more with some directors we should have done that for Ridley Scott last week <laughs> but, um, <laughs> what's, what's an easy way to get into Ridley Scott I don't know. They're all they're all pretty dense. Gladiator is pretty easy, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Alien doesn't. Alien's based off simplicity. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, I do. Th- I I think it's fun to analyze certain directors that way. As yeah. far as, as, as not just like as far as is it hard to like anyone can walk into French Dispatch and have a good time with it. It's a silly movie. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, of course, yeah. But, of but course, in terms, yeah. but if you want to like, enjoy. yeah. But if you're if you're trying to like get a lot out of something based on the fact that it's this director and you want to like understand him as a person. I, yeah. I do think, yeah, I think it's interesting to kind of look at their films and see which ones are interesting gateways to their work versus which ones are, you know, advanced studies of how they've progressed as filmmakers. Not to keep continuing on this, uh, for the long haul. Cause I'm going to maybe open a can of worms here. Jackie Brown is one of Quentin Tarantino's best movies. I mean, it's, offhand it's my favorite movie of all time <laughs> so i mean it's like, wow well, i thought what if what you, about uh, uh the robert downey jr movie what robert downey jr movie kiss kiss bang bang that's a favorite of mine i don't generally okay. I, if, and, if you ask me like my top five i don't generally say kiss kiss bang bang it. at all I, I, okay. I throw in like like these days because it's you know whatever it's an ever it's an ever-growing list of favorites but sure. like if you ask me my favorite movies it'd be like jaws jackie brown gross point blank but i mean it's like gross <laughs> point blank's like the one that i was thinking gross point blank yeah yeah so, like city of god LA confidential like it, it's not like <laughs> the <laughs> those are the ones that but yes if i generally if i'm giving like one answer it's like jaws or jackie brown right now like that's yeah what i say <laughs> but yeah. uh and i mean yeah jackie brown i mean quentin <laughs> like his, his movies it's yeah. the sa- it's the same as west for me it's like the guy doesn't miss in my book so i'm no i don't really have any <laughs> qualms yeah but like, he certainly... doesn't really miss but if you want to see like a complete like if, if you think as though it's like all all quentin Tarantino can do is like you know, quick slap handy um, uh, rhythm dialogue. No, man. Should, Jackie you, Brown is like. You should watch more different. movies, is my answer to that question. <laughs> but, That's true, yeah. But I mean, it's like, you know, I, and again, this is not to like get into the Quentin Tarantino pod, which might come later when he releases his 10th movie. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, anyhow. Which, uh, which I, won't I, be I, Kill Bill Volume 3, no matter what people, <laughs> what no matter what the internet wants to write about that week. That's not They're gonna not going to have Zendaya play, you know, uh, Vivica Fox's daughter. <laughs> 
Um, no, anyhow, back to back to Wes Anderson. I agree with you that there's a uh, you could there's a really cool way that you could um, dissect his his movies and add them as like a course. Yes. Huh. All right. I think we've talked a lot about the French Dispatch and all the different segments and everything. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, I just want to get to you because I, I mentioned like a couple of nitpicks, but did you have any nitpicks or did you feel any length weird or weird length or anything like that? I, it's the kind of thing where this won't be a problem when I see it again because I just know what I'm expecting at that point, so it just doesn't enter right. into my mind as far as a pacing issue. I do think this, I do think that second one, the the concrete, uh, the um, revisions of manifesto, I do think that it maybe it feels the most relaxed in its pacing by comparison. Yeah. Okay. Like the other two feel, there's so much screwball energy in them where that one feels like it's. It's taking its it's taking its time more to get to its point. Yeah. That makes sense, but I mean that's a, that's hardly a criticism. It's just more. Of I like, hear what you're saying. There's a different yeah. style to it compared to the other. Like they all have different styles. That's the idea. Right. Like yeah. if Again, I, like different authors, different styles. It, it's hard to label this as a problem with the film. It's just like it's the fact that it has so much density to it, where I know there's more to appreciate, but it comes from seeing it multiple times, which. I don't know why that shouldn't be a flaw of a movie. Like, you know, if, if, if an artist spent, you know, hundreds of man hours making this movie, why, why is watching it once the ultimate way to determine your opinion on it? I mean, it's like, it's, it's a movie that rewards you for, you know, you know, seeing it. If presuming you enjoy it, if you didn't enjoy it, you didn't enjoy it. That's its own thing. Yeah. I I would agree. I mean, like in general, I think that films are made to be rewatched. I mean, you don't, just read the book once. I mean, if it's one of your favorite books, you'll go back and reread it. Uh, I, I still reread some of the books that I read as a kid. Or even make it, make uh, it simpler. You don't look at a painting once. <laughs> you know? You know? You, I mean, <laughs> who are you, Q? Uh, but, <laughs> or Will Hunting. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would agree because there, there's a lot that you can go back to. I mean, even when I'm watching um, Tenenbaums again, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I didn't pick up on this Q before, but now I, I do see it. And I've seen Ten of Alms quite a number of times, uh, and I, I still am floored by some of the cinematography that I'm seeing in uh, Grand Budapest. Uh, so yeah, I mean there there's a lot of reward for rewatching something. So I would not doubt that I I, I would agree with you earlier on that Anderson movies are some of the most rewatchable movies that I've I've come across. Cool. Well, when should people see this movie? I would tell you to go to a theater uh, and see it there uh, if you feel safe and if it, uh, if the surroundings are safe for you. I would agree. You have another original film from one of our more creative directors currently working on a consistent basis. There's no reason to skip it if you, you uh, do not feel if you feel comfortable. Uh, yeah, and save for the credits. You see magazine covers. It's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh my god, the art is so much fun. Yeah, uh, watching this movie. Very fun. Okay. Well, I think we did it. We've talked about the French Dispatch. Over and out? Uh, that's been our out on nights. <laughs> nights. Prise il a Sous cette plage Et dans cet orage Elle a disparu Et j'ai crié Crié A Pour qu'elle revienne Et j'ai pleuré Je me suis assis auprès de son âme, mais la belle dame s'était enfuie. Je l'ai cherché. Son...
Don't lose your quarrel. 